The information provided in this show is intended for your general knowledge only and is not intended to be, nor is it, medical advice or a substitute for medical advice. If you have or suspect you have a specific medical condition or disease, please consult your health care provider. Now listening to the Health Hero Show with Tim James. <laughs> What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here, founder of ChemicalFreeBody.com and your host for the show that simplifies and demystifies how to live an energetic life with a flat belly. So if you're into a healthy gut and staying young, then this is the show for you. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here with another exciting episode of the Health Hero Show. Today, I am especially um, pumped and excited to have Dr. Tom Cowan in the house with us today. Today, um, I really want you guys to stay around to the end because the last segment especially, we're going to get into uh, Dr. Cowan's passion project. That's drcowansgarden.com. So how did this doctor get into the garden so deep and what's he doing? As you can see, uh, for those of you on um, uh, YouTube and other platforms where you can see us behind me I have a whole bunch of I consider them supplements but um, Tom says they're powders Um, I think they're superfood seasonings these are things for those of you that are looking to bring nutrition into your recipes into your cooking into your food preparation um, that might not have access to that or want to just step it up or want to really make your foods taste delicious Dr. Cowan has like literally um, he's almost like our, he's like our formulator, Dr. Scott Treadway. I mean, where he's brought these amazing, very nutritious um, powders and seasonings that you can add to your food. So stick around to the end. We'll give you a discount code for that. It's going to be awesome. But today in the beginning, this is going to be kind of a double dip because we're going to give you, I want to get down and deep on the germ theory. This is a, uh, a topic, you know, it goes back to Louis Pasteur, germs are bad, um, fear, fear, fear. And all the, for those of you listening, um, you guys know that we know that fear actually lowers the immune system. So we don't want to do that. If you're new, we really want to get you up to speed on that because we want to get people out of fear mode and let them live a happy life to boost their immune system, which is very important. And um, so we're going to get away from that. We're going to get deep into the germ theory because this guy, Dr. Cowan, has written a book on called The Contagion Myth. And Dr. Cowan, thank you so much for being on the show today, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, it's very exciting. So, um, yeah, so you 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 saw patients for for thirty seven years. Why don't you just tell us your backstory, like why you got into medicine, what you saw during your practice, and then um, uh, you know, and, and then how how you got into helping people um, in a healthy way. Uh, so I I grew up in a family that I all I can say was kind of expected that I would be a doctor. A lot of my parents' friends were doctors and very sort of high power doctors. And I just never liked it. I didn't think they were uh, particularly deep thinkers or I just didn't see it. So I didn't really know what else to do. So eventually after college, which I left, graduated in three years because I didn't really like it. I joined the Peace Corps and taught gardening, which is sort of where I got introduced to gardening. And when I was there, I was given books by Weston Price and Rudolf Steiner. And the thing that hit me then was the kind of doctor that I didn't want to be was not the only kind of doctor there was. Mm -hmm. The way of seeing the world that I had been uh, led to think was the only way and the obvious way turned out to be not the only way. And there was a, a better way of seeing the world. And it was sort of like a light went off for me. And 
it, it did ignite an interest, which I didn't even really think I had, because I didn't really want to have anything to do with medicine. But I realized, you know, you could study food and life. And that was very interesting to me and basically been doing it ever since. You know, then I went to medical school, went to family practice residency. Uh, in, in, in my first year in family practice, I had an experience of a child in our clinic was, I think, about two months old, uh, given a DPT shot. Two days later, they were dead. Uh, and the, basically, the, the doctors lied about it, covered it up, and mm -hmm. basically didn't report it. And I, that was sort of the last straw for me, because I realized I didn't want to have anything to do with this. But, you know, I, so I eventually got my license. I sort of and set off on my own trying to figure out how to do medicine. Worked as an ER doctor for a little while just to sort of supplement my income. Yeah. Really, since 1984, I've been doing some different kind of medicine, refining it over the years, as obviously I learned more. And, you know, I've written a bunch of books about it and talked about a lot of things. And one of the things I found was that a lot of things I got wrong over the years. I mean, I would say some of the things I got right, fortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, but here's the key. Every single thing I got wrong, and I mean everything, was because I believed the dominant narrative too much. And a lot of times at the time, I was something was in me saying, I don't think that's right, but I didn't know how to... Uh, make another case at the time so i kind of just left it alone yeah and i'm basically became tired of doing that and so now if i can't see and i can't prove that it's true no matter how many people think it i just don't buy it well that's um really awesome you know i know a lot of doctors and nurses and people in the health field usually have like you know, you usually like a family member gets hurt or, you know, a friend or something, somebody dies or gets really sick and then they get motivated and they're really, they're, their hearts are in the right spot. I always say the doctors are, and the, are, and the nurses are the, the good boys and the gir good girls in the equation, but they go into a system that's completely broken, that's, that's been hijacked by big pharma, literally down to the textbooks. And um, there's literally, there's no, no training on on health. There's no training on nutrition. There's no training on, I mean, it's, to me, it's like really silly. I mean, I talked to doctors and I said, what was the last thing you did at medical school when you graduated? And, um, you know, I hear a variety of answers and I say, well, no, you took the Hippoc Hippocratic oath, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. We took that oath. I, I will do no harm. I said, you know, so you, the whole culmination of medical school was, I will do no harm. And who was that based on? And they're like, oh, Hippocrates, right? And I was like, did you ever study that guy? I mean, you're taking an oath on <laughs> what he did, you know, what he said. It's like, what about thy, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food? It's like a basic principle. You know, he, that guy that you took the oath on, he was uh, healing people with food and, um, and water fasting and, you know, and, and massage and, and helping people deal with their stress and, and their family situations. And um, how much training did you get on that? And then they just, it's, it's usually like crickets. You know, or they'll laugh and say, oh, maybe two weeks of two weeks of nutritional training. How much nutritional training did you get as a medical doctor? Uh, luckily, none, uh, because I, I would actually advocate that 
they don't teach nutrition in medical school because if they did, they would just teach people nonsense nutrition. Mm. So yeah, it would be, but there was no, no, at no time in my medical training of, of any, of any type and in medical school residency or post-residency, did anybody ever mention any food? Mm -hmm. Not and, once. And how or, many years, how many years did you go to medical school? Four, usual. Yeah, four, right? So four years, you're there, you're trying to learn how to help heal people. And there's no, there's no, there's nothing on nutrition. And now it's like your whole, your whole life revolves around that or what you're trying to teach people. Yeah. Or water, which is, is as important as, as food. Nobody said anything. And even though 99.99% of the molecules in a human being are water, mm -hmm. our, most of our tissues are 70% water. The brain is about 80% water. Nobody said anything about the character of water, what state water in, how water acts. They, they, they're basically, the problem is they're studying dead matter. Mm -hmm. And because they study dead matter and artifacts, they have no conception of life. And so then they proceed to treat you as if you're dead. And it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And that's, so that's the problem. And they can't see it, and I don't know what it's going to take, but it's it's as if they're under a spell. Yeah. Could you expand on the water just a little bit? Like it, it's like a big deal over here, and um, what we do, um, we have these things we call our core four secrets, and our, our core secret number one is drinking half your body weight in liquid ounces of purified and restructured water. That's what we teach over here, and maybe you could just expand on like how important water is and, and water quality. So the, 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 the really the best way to do that is, and for anybody who uh, has questions about what I'm about to say or doubts it, I would only say that you need to read the work of, of a guy named Gilbert Ling and a guy named Harold Hillman. These were the, probably the two best biologists of the 20th and early 21st century. They're both dead now. That Gilbert, who, what was his last name? Gilbert? Ling, L-I-N-G. Okay, Ling. And, and it's to the point where if anybody, uh, any biologist or medical person says, questions what I'm saying and hasn't read Ling and Hill Hillman, I, I just don't even respond. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the way to start this is if I was to ask you, uh, to the question, we want to understand what your hand is made of and what your hand does, right? Mm -hmm. That's our quest. So here's how we're going to do it. Number one, sorry about that. I'm going to cut your hand off your body. Number two, I'm going to put it in an enzyme bath to dissolve all the soft tissues. Number three, I'm going to freeze it at 150 degrees below zero centigrade. Number four, I'm going to put it in a heavy metal dye stain. And number five, I'm going to shoot an electron beam at it to evaporate immediately all the water. And then I'm going to look at it under a microscope and I'm going to tell you what your hand is made of. What do you think about that? Well, I think there might be a little carbon left. <laughs> right. In other words, there's no <laughs> way you could know anything about your hand from that procedure. Right. 
here are here are the following structures that we believe exist in human cells and tissues that have only been seen by that procedure. Uh, cell membranes made out of lipids, receptors in cells like opiate receptors and serotonin receptors and 80% of the drugs in medicine are, are supposedly working on receptors, which frankly don't exist. Uh, pumps in the membrane, uh, ribosomes where the, pro where the RNA is made into protein, endoplasmic reticulum, Golgi apparatus, nuclear pores, and on and on and on. All these things have only been seen under an electron microscope. And just to give you a brief example, every ribosome, which is key to understanding how uh, RNA is translated, made into protein, right? If, mm -hmm. if there are no ribosomes, then the whole theory falls apart. Every single ribosome that has ever been seen is a perfect circle on an electron microscope. Now, if it's a perfect circle in a, in a two-dimensional picture, that must can only mean it's a sphere in real life, right? Yeah. And now, remember, this. in order to get there, we homogenize the tissue. In other words, put it in a blender. So if you think about it, and you take an orange and you put it in a blender, what are the chances that every piece that you get out of that is a perfect circle? Well, I would say probably pretty small. I would say zero. It's going to get whacked and hacked by that blade turning at high RPMs. Right. So it's going to make all kinds of shapes, which tells you that that perfect circle could not have come from a ribosome. It could not have come from anything intact in the living organism. And that it's actually a gas bubble that's an artifact of the, of the staining and evaporation process you use to make the slide. Hmm. Now, the reason I say that in answer to your question about water is at the end of the day, if you say, what can you prove a, a tissue or, you know, like a lens of an eye or a liver or a heart is made of, the only things you can prove, it's made of organized water like cubes of jello stacked next to each other. And it's hard to even say there's a membrane in between, right? Or just stacked next to each mm -hmm. other. Uh, and then there's some lipids and proteins and amino acids and minerals dissolved in the water. And then there's a mitochondria and then there's a nucleus and that's it. And the way that it works is this, the proteins and the minerals help structure the water into a coherent gel. And that's essentially the receiver of information in any biological system. Yeah. And so it's like a radio. And so the radio receives input like thoughts, feelings, electromagnetic waves, light from the sun, input from the moon, other people, dogs, cats, plants, etc., and organizes that into a living system. And so if the water is messed up because it can't be coherent because you dissolve toxins like putting poison grapes in your jello then what you have is an out of tune radio which can't receive input and then you have disease and there's two very simple ways of explaining how that comes about 
for instance, the cataract or the lens of your eye is a perfect crystalline water structure that's transparent to light because that's the function of the eye. Mm-hmm. And then you put in a glyphosate or electromagnetic fields and you distort the gel so it forms little hard spots in it. And that's what we call a cataract. And so nobody knows why you get a cataract. It's become it, it's the reason is because you've essentially destroyed the the coherence of the water crystal in your eye, and that's essentially what we call a cataract. Yeah. So it's a poor environment. It's always it always goes back to the environment. Yeah. It's it's what it it's the nutrients that it's made of. If you don't have magnesium or calcium or something, you can't form the right water crystal. If you're drinking water with poisons in it that has no structure, you, you have a harder time making a coherent crystal. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in, in your knee. You have these two crystalline bursa that are always negatively charged and repel each other and make smooth movement of your knee. And then you put poisons in it and make it inflamed and, and all the rest of it. The water dissolves from a crystal <laughs> into liquid water and you see that as a joint effusion or a swelling in your knee. And then the knee doesn't have the cushion and it sticks together. And then you have bone on bone and then they put in a plastic knee. Genius. <laughs> it's just crazy, right? I can't tell you how many people I've throughout the years like played racquetball and stuff like that. And they're like, I'm bone on bone, I'm bone on bone. And now it's like, it's like a flashback thinking about what you just said. I'm like, I didn't know that it was a negatively charged like that. and it's the lifestyle. It really there's is. Two, there's two cushions here. Yeah. As you would expect, right? This mm-hmm. is a magnificently organized creation, really. Yeah. So you have these two, you know, like water crystal cushions. Water crystals are always negatively charged, so they repel each other, right? Yeah, that's awesome. And so then you have smooth movement. And if you lose the charge because you don't have the, the minerals or the proteins or the lipids or your water is poisoned or you're always in an electromagnetic field that degrades the coherence of the water, you lose the cushion and then you have bone on bone. There's nothing hard to understand about this. And why don't, you know, if you ask your orthopedic doctor, what, what's the cause of osteoarthritis? He has no clue. Hmm overuse he says but he's treating you what's he treating you with he takes your knee out puts a new knee in mm-hmm. now you're better so guys i'm i know we're going to get into the germ theory but this is how important water is like i'm so glad that you shared this because our listeners the health heroes here we are like we're students these uh, we want to learn we want to we want to have good health we know it's an inside job and um it's water is just such an important component. I've, I've just taken my water knowledge to a whole nother level today. I'm so really excited and thankful for you to be here about that. Have you ever uh, looked at Dr. Emoto's work? I'm sure you have. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I don't know him personally. Well, I, I was at a talk with him years and years ago mm-hmm. and I'm, I was friends with the guy who became the head of the Emoto center. And there's another woman I did an interview myself with, with named Veda Austin, who's, who's taken that to a whole new level where you can take uh, water and put pictures or put thoughts or 
ideas or, or, or songs, and the water will create a structure out of that that like, like one of the most amazing ones is she took a, a Petri dish of water and put it on a wedding invitation. And then for like two minutes, put it in the freezer, took it out of the freezer and the water created the image of a wedding ring. Now think about that. If you had to make a representation in two minutes of the essence of a wedding invitation, mm -hmm. What a what more or more creative or better way to do that than a picture of a wedding ring? Obviously, you can't write a whole whole story like Fred and Sally got married and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. but, so you just make an image that, that and immediately that image depicts the whole thing. Yeah. So the water is this is the source of our memory. Now here's another interesting. So I was driving with this three, four-year-old friend of mine in a car and an interview that I was, they interviewed me, came mm -hmm. on the radio and he looked and he said, how did you get into the radio? And I thought it was a great question because that's exactly what modern scientists mm -hmm. think is the origin of the mind is it must mm -hmm. be in the brain. Mm -hmm. And somehow you got into your brain. The reality is water is because it has infinite number of binding sites and then can change, unlike quartz, which has infinite binding sites, but it can't grow and evolve or change. That's why it's used for computers. And, and so you, you get images or thoughts or memories, and they, they actually get sort of downloaded into this water crystal. That's why the brain is 80% by volume water. Because mm -hmm. it has to have more of this coherent water crystals. So, I mean, water is life. There is no life without water. And one of the most interesting things about what's happening now is the real essence of the, you could say, COVID problem is people think that we should be made of quartz instead of water. And be, they're trying, that's called uh, transhumanism. Mm -hmm. They want to down to make the human organism by injecting them with essentially technology that will turn you into a quartz based processing device. Now, that doesn't sound good. Well, the thing is, from a, if you want to say it's good, it's because quartz lives forever, right? Mm but it can never grow, change, evolve, feel, love, think, or be anything that we associate with the human being. So basically these the shots, which we'll get into are injected into us and we become automatons. Yes. Yeah. And right behind me, I can show, I'll flip this up a little bit, but you can see that, see, it says water is sacred. It's on my, one of my, it's on my, one of my vision boards. So, yeah, and I used to, I, I actually experienced this a little bit with what you were talking about. I, I studied Dr. Emoto a long time ago, just a little bit, and I used to grow um, sprouts and wheatgrass in my, my garage for about 40 to 50 cancer patients a week, and we were delivering those to the, all around the Portland Metro Vancouver area, and um, I, I was like, wow, let me try this. So I like literally played classical music. Um, I had this old boom box from, from college. It was like in the garage, so I plugged it in and turned it on. And, played some Beethoven and Bach and, and the plants would grow towards it. 
Yeah. And then, and then I, I like, literally, I like, I was like, this is like blowing my mind, but then I'm like, okay, now I, then I put on some like, you know, heavy metal, blah, blah, and the plants grew away from it. Right. And that like, that stuff started freaking me the F out. I was like, what is going on here? Like, so see, I grew up standard American diet, had tons of health issues. Um, you know, guys got to eat meat to be, you know, be a, t you know, and just hunting and fishing and chewing tobacco and drinking whiskey and you got to be tough and, and uh, don't show your emotion, stiff upper lip. And all of a sudden, all this woo woo stuff started becoming like real. Like, and it was really weird for me, like learning this stuff and like trying to believe it. I'm like, am I crazy here? Is this stuff? But I started seeing stuff. And fortunately, it wasn't believing as seeing. I had to do a lot of seeing as believing on my journey, multiple things, some deep emotional work. Um, but um, I, I, I know now that like there's just, there's things that, some things that can't be explained. But there's things that are out there that people think are woo woo, and they're not woo woo at all. They're just they're they're the the reality of the real world that's been cloaked by society's uh, conditioning. Well, if you want to get into uh, what's woo woo, and if you want to define woo woo as being irrational, mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the places to start is the idea that the whole world should be put in prison uh, because of a uh, quote virus which nobody has ever seen or been able to actually demonstrate is actually real. Awesome. And I say that having spent an entire year looking for a, any shred of actual scientific evidence that anybody has actually isolated, characterized, or, or demonstrated the reality of this SARS-CoV-2 virus. And I guarantee you there is none. The, well, in, in, and just let me say the institutions that have agreed with that include the CDC, the uh, NIH, the uh, Koch, Robert Koch Institute, the Louis Pasteur Institute, the governments of Australia, England, Australia, France, Italy, all of them have admitted that nobody has an example of this virus. So that's the thing that's actually irrational and i would almost say cult-like to believe that yeah well i think this is a perfect time we're going to take a quick break when we get back i want to get into this deep now we'll get back when we come back guys we're going to get into the contagion myth um the germ theory why viruses including the coronavirus are not the cause of disease we're here with dr thomas cowan md we'll be right back Humans only use 10% of the brain, and that can't change no matter how much we try. But you don't need to limit your body to the same standards. Bring your cells to 100% with Green 85 Juice Formula. Replace 85% of nutrients your body needs to function to the next level. Our chemical-free juice formula is 100% organic, contains no stimulants, and is made right here in the USA. Visit ChemicalFreeBody.com and get Green 85 shipped right to your door. ChemicalFreeBody.com What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I'm back with Dr. Thomas Cowan, MD. And like I said, we've got a special, um, something very special to share with you um, on the, and it'll be on the next break. And we're going to start talking about it in just a moment about these, um, these powders, these superfood seasonings. But I really want to, I really appreciate your time because um, I know you're super busy. Um, I'm trying to fit two shows into one. Hopefully we can have you back on because um, you're, I, I just love what you're saying. Um, I really respect your work. And I, I know you're coming from a place with a good heart. And I just, I really appreciate the work you've done and what you're doing. 
So let's get into your book, The Contagion Myth, um, you know, the germ theory, and um, let's go, what's your, what's your take on all that? So, you know, the best place to start with this is talk specifically about viruses, because that's what's most up. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you ask most people, like now we're talking 99 plus percent of lay people, and I would say 98 plus percent of medical doctors and scientists, how do you demonstrate that a new virus or any virus causes a disease? Now, most lay people and most medical doctors would say, well, if a lot of people get sick in the same place, then it must be a virus. Or if the sickness that, that they have spreads from one place to another, then it must be a virus. Or if a bunch of people in the same house get sick, then it must be a virus. Or my Aunt Bessie went to church and next thing you know, she got sick. Mm -hmm. So number one, those are what are called epidemiological observations. And the role of epidemiological observations is to generate hypotheses to so you can find out what the cause is. There is no way that any observation like that can show that there's a viral causation. Besides, if you think that if a lot of people get sick in the same place, it must be a virus, then you must think that Hiroshima was a virus. And if you think that because something spreads, it must be a virus, then you must think Chernobyl was a virus. And we've had a lot of examples over the history, like a lot of sailors on ships, their you know, teeth fell out and then they went into heart failure and died. 200 years, they said one person after another got sick, so it must be something contagious. And then somebody ate a lime and the whole thing went away because they had scurvy. Yeah, limeys. Yeah, and the same thing happened with Pellegra and Barry Berry. Millions of people died. Centuries, they thought it was contagious. And they found out it's because they didn't do the right thing with their, their corn and wheat. Mm. So we have a long history of making horrible mistakes. So then you say, well, so how does, how, okay, let's actually do science and find out what the problem is. So then most people think you take a bunch of sick people and you take some fluid out of them, blood or mucus or snot or something, and you purify it, look under the microscope, and you see these uniform particles called viruses. Now, the first thing I would say is, doing that, and it's very clear how you do it, you macerate it, you filter it, you centrifuge it, you, you get these particles, it's been done with so-called bacteriophages and giant viruses. It's a very simple technique of doing it. And the first thing I would say is that procedure has never been done for any pathogenic virus in history. There is simply no supposed virus that causes disease, including SARS-CoV-2, that has ever been found in any bodily fluid of a sick person. And if somebody disputes that, I would love to see the article because I know for a fact it doesn't exist. Now, they did this for 20 years and then they said, we can't find any of these uh, particles, mm -hmm. so we're done. And then somebody, a guy named John Enders, came up with a way of showing that viruses cause disease. And what he did was he took 
uh, secretions from a measles patient. And he mixed, so the game we're playing is find the particle, right? Mm -hmm. The particle is a protein with a genetic material in the middle, right? Yeah. So you don't want to mix any genetic material with your sample, right? Because that, that blows the whole experiment. So he takes snot from a measles person, mixes it with milk, mixes it with bovine fetal serum, embryonic fluid from a cow, horse serum, and then he inoculates that, spreads that onto monkey kidney tissue. So now we have five sources of genetic material. We have whatever was in the snot, that's one, and we have six, milk, three serums, bovine fetal tissue, bovine kidney tissue, and then nothing happened. So then he took away the nutrients from the medium and nothing happened. And then he added antibiotics, which are specifically poisonous to the kidney tissue. And now they use amphotericin and genomycin. And lo and behold, the, that brew breaks down into particles. And he says, see, those are the measles virus. Now, interestingly, he did a control of sorts and did the entire same thing, but didn't put anything from somebody with the measles in it, right? Mm -hmm. So he just took bovine serum and milk and put that on a kidney tissue, starved it, poisoned it. And it, he said the results were indistinguishable from what he got from the measles, which proves that there was nothing in the measles that was growing in this tissue. That should have been the end of virology. And unfortunately, that became the way that every virus has been found since 1954. And it's a complete fraud. Well, and yeah, it's, 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 pretty, um, it's pretty cut and dry, right? It's pretty cut and dry. And in fact, if you read this article, which was interestingly given the Nobel Prize, he says twice in there, a sort of warning. He says, by the way, uh, we don't really know whether these particles that we're seeing are coming from the person with measles mm -hmm. or they're coming from the breakdown of one of these five things we added to the mixture. And if you read in an article, May 2020, in the journal called Viruses, which is the main journal of virologists, they say, as of May 2020, we have no way to tell whether these particles that we're calling viruses come from the breakdown of our own tissue or they're coming from some outside virus. Because the reality is the idea of a virus is a misconception. Yeah. It's just garbage that comes, you poison your tissues, you starve, you think bad thoughts, you get uh, exposed to electromagnetic fields, you don't have good bowel movements. You don't sweat. You're not out in nature. Your tissue breaks down. It breaks down into little pieces with genetic material. And we erroneously think those are viruses making you sick. And it really goes back to, it's always the environment. Like if you're eating McDonald's, you're in a relationship that doesn't work. You're at a job that you don't like. I mean, 74% of 74, 76% of people are in, in a career that they don't like. They're not happy. Right. That's the problem. And you brought up measles. And a really good point is that 
you know, I've studied measles a little bit. I know at around the 1900s, about 14 people per 100,000 were dying of the measles. It was a problem. And then that, that, if you look at the chart, it goes up and down, up and down, but down about the 1950s, it was less than one person out of 100,000 was dying of the measles. Now, if I was talking to people, I have somebody in my family that thinks that shots saved everything because they bought the narrative. I said, so from 1900 until 1963, which is when the measles vaccine came in, how did it go from 14 out of 100,000 deaths down to less than one before the vaccine even came? What was going on at that time? Well, they were, you know, it was a, it was the women's labor movement, and they started getting cleaner workplaces. And they it was the it was the plumber and the sanitation worker that cleaned up the the feces and the urine where people are walking around. They're living it. They have these nasty food coming in that was terrible. There was dead goats and horses in the water. They cleaned all that up. That's exactly what you just said. They cleaned up the they cleaned up the environment. They cleaned up the petri dish. And guess what? The human body came back. The immune system got boosted because it wasn't wallowing around in human feces and urine, basically. And that's where you know I see this. I grew up on a farm, Tom. And the only thing I would I I want to just correct some terminology used, just so you can think about this. Okay. Because I no longer believe we have an immune system. Okay. Think about that. If there's no viruses or bacteria making you sick, bacteria just live on dead and dying tissue. Mm -hmm. poison your tonsils then the bacteria come to clean up the mess it's like firemen coming to put out a fire and we blame the firemen for causing the fire mm. if there's no bacteria or viral infections we don't need an immune system we need a detoxification mechanisms of clearing out debris otherwise the bacteria have to eat them for us and you, you may say, well, this is a semantic issue, but even saying there's an immune system conjures up the idea that some outside invisible entity is there to make you sick. And it's just not true. Hmm. I'm going to have to think about that. That's a good perspective. It's like it's, 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 you call it, we call it a detoxification system. And yeah. a lot of, and a lot of people, you and know, that's um, accurate. That's, exactly what you see so if we have six trillion human cells in the body and we've got 60 trillion bacterial cells in the body and 380 trillion virus cells in the body what, what see i don't think any of those things are true that you just said in fact uh it's if i if i was to ask you prove that there are cells in a human in a living human being can you do that under a microscope? Well, you have to remove it from the living system in order to see it. Mm -hmm. So how about while it's still in the living system? How would you, how would you look at them? Count yeah, them? Is that what you're if you about? think there are cells, six trillion cells, at some point you have to prove that they're there while the being is living. Otherwise, it could be that the act of removing them changes the chemistry changes the dynamics and it may even form like spore forms which are called cells in fact we know that of the 186 tissues in the human being 48 of them are called syncytia which means they're just organized water with no compartments at all with mitochondria and nuclei 
That's it. There's no cells there at all. There's no cells in your lens of your eye. There's no cells in your bursa. Uh, the whole thing is an artifact. It, it's like Goethe said, as soon as you kill the frog, there's nothing left to know about what a how a frog lives. So are you leaning more towards um, energetics? Well, there's obviously, well, there's, I see, I don't, I don't really like the question. <laughs> well, I, I mean, because I'm thinking like nice. water and water, it's like this multi, we're mostly water and energy and frequency. But, let's be, but, but you can actually be precise because that if you say, yeah, we're energy, well, nobody knows what that means. What we are is organized crystalline water mm -hmm. with some minerals, uh, lipids, proteins, amino acids, bounded by a very thin membrane. Sometimes those are what you're calling cells uh, mm -hmm. that are organized in sort of this two parts, like that's the radio. And then the organization is these energy wavelengths that come from the outside. That is the most precise description of what a living being is made of. Well, I'm glad that you came on because I love people that um, you've actually made me think more than I thought in a long time, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. I'm going to go back and watch this once it gets edited and put out and take some really good notes. Um, I actually have a, I have somebody else that I'd like to put you in a room with and just sit there and take notes. This, so I'll see if I can get that done in the future. All right, well, um, so hopefully that's enough on the germ theory. You know, Louis Pasteur said germs are going to kill us. Fear, fear, fear. Um, it sounds like, um, and you guys, if you want to go deeper into this, you can grab Dr. Cowan's book. Again, I'll talk about it later. It's called The Contagion Myth, Why Viruses, Including the Coronavirus, Are Not the Cause of Disease. All right, now let's flip the script. Um, but before we take our next break, I just kind of want to launch into um, the, the real reason that I wanted to have you on here today is because of these powders that you've developed. You've, you've after 37 years of seeing patients and, and being a, a medical doctor, helping people um, in natural ways, um, now you have um, created a, basically, I mean, I look at them like supplements, but I've got a whole bunch of them here. I ordered a bunch of them. I talked to your son and um, I'm just really excited about this. So Dr. Cowan's garden and these these powders. How did how did that all get started? So you know, as I said, when I first started this, I read Weston Price and I got very interested in. So what I found in indigenous people and what I found is that traditional people and particularly traditional eating people basically lived uh, healthy, disease-free lives as you would expect, right? Mm -hmm. They, you know, just like animals, they don't go to doctors and they don't get sick until you poison the environment. Mm -hmm. Same with these people, these 14 groups. So then the next step obviously was to get deeper into the details. So what did they actually eat? And one of the groups I studied was the native people in California. And I found out that they ate approximately 110 different plants per year. And about half of them were either wild or perennial plants. These mm. are plants that grow year after year, not annuals like tomatoes and uh, potatoes that we eat. Like, the, like the wild ramp, which I've never heard. It's, like, it's kind of like a leek, but nobody yeah. can figure out how to grow it commercially. Leak. Yeah. Now, then I uh, looked around in my patients and people that I knew, how many 
different plants do, you know, do typical American eat. And it's about 12 per year, like ketchup is one and French fries another. <laughs> and those are the mustard. 12 different, yeah, mustard, that's three. And so that, that and, and the thing is, all these different plants are different collections of nutrients, known and unknown. Mm -hmm. They have different uh, phenols, they have different phytochemicals, and many of them have to do with disease prevention or disease treatment. And I realized that I didn't know whether this person was sick because they don't have, they don't eat wild, lamp, wild ramps mm. or choya buds or perennial tree collards. I mean, I have no way of knowing that. And it may be that there's a unique, you know, chemical or polyphenol or energy or something. All I know is that if you want to be healthy, you have to eat 110 a year. So being who I am, I decided that I was going to do that. And actually, then I realized nobody was growing them or producing them. And so I had to grow them myself. So I, because I knew about gardening, I started to do that. And I used to joke that if I made a rule that, that every patient of mine had to eat 40 perennial or wild vegetables a year, I would soon be down to three patients. And maybe <laughs> my, my wife and maybe my son and a few other people. Um, so that wasn't viable. So then I'd said, well, uh, we'll just start a company and make them. And what we'll do is we'll find people who forage for wild vegetables or mm -hmm. people, including me, who grow perennial vegetables. And then we will recreate how traditionally they're eaten. In other words, I don't think eating raw kale or raw tree collards is good for you. There's, you, you have to uh, steam it a little bit or blanch it to unblock the nutrients in it. But if you do it too long, then it becomes mush and that's not good either. So there's a perfect time. So we would, uh, pro we would process each individual, some are raw, some are steamed or some are baked, you know. So you're talking about breaking things down like lectins and stuff like that? Or cellulose. Mm -hmm. You can tell like kale, it goes from green and bitter to bright green and sweet and then yuck, yeah. right? You should eat it when it's bright green and sweet. That's nature's way of telling you this is the optimal time to eat it. Um, and so that's what we did with the vegetables. So, and they're all different. Like the ramps are not heated because they're, you know, they're, they don't need, they don't have a lot of cellulose. They're not binding their nutrients into this protective coating. Well, and so, so essentially mostly me, I came up with for wild ramps, you do it like this for choya buds, you do it like this for tree collards, genera kale, carrots, whatever it is, you do it like this, and then we would mix them together. And then we would put them in these purple glass jars. Now, the oh, point let's, of let, let, let's do this, because we have to take a break right now. And I want to spend some time on these jars, because these things are really cool. Um, so when we, we got to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to get into deeper into um, giving you guys some how you can use these things in your in your food preparation how you can give yourself a full spectrum of nutrients and phytochemicals and bioflavonoids and all these things 
that Dr. Cowan's figured out from the indigenous people. We'll be right back. To get this product and our other amazing products, go to chemicalfreebody.com. That's chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I'm back with Dr. Tom Cowan, and we're getting into something very important to your gut health, your happiness, your overall life. Tom, you've dropped some really cool bombs today. I hope you guys really look back and get those books on those water biologists, Gilbert Ling and Harold Hillman. Also, you mentioned a gal, Veda Austin, and she's really done some work on water. For those of you guys that want to geek out on water, Tom, thank you for sharing that stuff. But now we're talking about Dr. Tom's garden or Dr. Dr. Cowan's garden, how you, you know, started studying these indigenous people. And I, and I get it, you know, when, when you were studying, um, uh, Weston Price, right? And, yeah. um, you know, how those, those indigenous people had really healthy teeth and how, how, why were their teeth so healthy, right? So what you've alluded to is that, you know, you know, people used to eat a wide variety of vegetable matter. And, you know, today I think the average person's consuming about 52 different meals over and over, or 52 different foods over and over again, which is down from like over 300, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm right. And you, you said that if they get over, a well, how many was it, like 110, 111? 110 was typical indigenous plant food. I mean, they ate animals too. They ate 20, 30, 40 different animals as well. So they were eating lots of variety and diversity, which is the key. They were all, you know, either wild or somewhat cultivated. Most were perennials, meaning they grow year after year. And so they literally mine the soil for nutrients it, it's you know we live in a food desert right and they send the roots down deeper and deeper and deeper looking and, for nutrients yeah cool stuff so what you've done is you've taken just an, a, a nice observation that like these healthy people these healthy indigenous people just had a wide variety of plants and what you've done now is you've taken a wild variety of plants and a lot of wild plants some of them like the ramp vegetable which is like a ancestors of leek leeks and you figure out ways each one's uh, different ways to process it to maximize its nutrients and you've put them into powders and then you just people can order it and they can basically get what they need delivered to them right exactly and again the one of the keys and i wouldn't do it without this was because powders will, their nutritional value will degrade. Mm -hmm. Then a uh, number of years ago, somebody sent me information on mirin jars and these were originally found in the pyramids and they had oil in them. And somebody ate the oil and it's just 3000 years old and it was still good. No way. A Swiss guy decided to reverse engineer it and found out that Mirin jars let in only UVA light because of the thickness and the color. And the more living things or, or foods are exposed to UVA light, it actually increases the energy content. And so they don't rot. 
Now, I didn't believe that as nobody should, but I decided to do an experiment before we did this. And what I did was I took two cherry tomatoes from one of my, you know, plants. And, you know, I say they were identical. They looked identical, you know, hundred percent right. identical, but you couldn't tell the difference. And then I put one in a, a mason jar and one in a mirror jar like you have there. Mm -hmm. And I put the lid on and put it on the counter and left it there. Now, as you can imagine, in about two, two and a half weeks, the one in the mason jar was all mushy and moldy, et cetera. And about five and a half to six months later, well, four, four to six months later, the one in the mirror jar you could still eat. You're and kidding me. When I saw that, I thought, oh. wait a minute. Uh, so this is actually, uh, it was preventing the degradation. Of it wasn't the, even in the refrigerator? No, it was sitting on my counter. We have pictures of it on the website. Uh, and that convinced What is this me, stuff made of? It's just, it's the thickness and the color. And that convinced me that, uh, it, and then we did tests like we would make treat, you know, kale powder or ram powder or something, put it in a mirror jar and then seal it. And then, you know, you put it on the counter so it's exposed to light and come back in six months. It has the same taste and freshness. Mm. And that convinced oh me that God. we could do it. Oh my God, dude. I'm so excited about this right now. I mean, I, you know, it's like, I was, I was talking to your son about this and he's like, oh yeah, these jars, he's like, don't throw the jar away because they're very valuable and they, they let, they block the bad light, but they let the good light in to energize and keep the food and the powders alive. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And, um, you know, I, I, it made sense to me because I've been telling my clients for, and, and, and followers for years that, you know, when you want to get cold pressed olive oil as an example, you want to make sure it was pressed within the last six months, but also then it's a very dark amber glass jar, black, dark jar, and then don't leave it out where it's exposed to light. Keep it in the cupboard so it's dark, so it doesn't oxidize, right? And doesn't right. go, it doesn't go bad fast. So this is like, this is like a whole nother level. Now I'm, I'm, my mind is blown right now because the Egyptians were using this stuff and it's like, how do they figure this out? Were they, are they talking to aliens? Did they figure it out themselves? That is awesome. I'm like, I want to, I want to get right. lots of these jars and start putting everything in it now. Everything. Well, Eventually, my in my practice, I would only use herbs that were stored or tinctures that were stored in mirror jars. Because what I found is that anytime you put any biological substance, even in an amber jar, or glass, or yeah. in the cupboard, it loses its potency. So I found a company to work with that makes their extracts and puts them in mirror jars. And it was a whole different revelation in what you could do with plants. And in fact, I would go so far as to say the reason most people and most doctors think that plant medicines don't work is because they're right. They don't work because the quality of the plants is degraded. Mm. Uh, and once you get real plants, either as food or as medicine, it's a whole new world opens up because the problem was not plants aren't good medicine the problem is you're using lousy plants hmm, that's interesting so what if somebody like um like picks a plant or something like that and then they they dehydrate it under 115 degrees 110 degrees and then they make a powder out of it 
and then they consume it within 30 days. How much uh, loss of nutrients do you think is going to happen just during that 30 days if it's in a dark container? Probably not that much. It, it also depends on, like I said, on the plant, you know, some plants do better if you cook them a little bit, mm -hmm. some plants don't. There, there's no rule that raw food is better or cooked food is better. It depends on the plant. Yeah. And that depends on the interaction with the human being. And you can tell if you're awake and experienced. And, you know, that's why native people always ate some raw and some cooked food. Always. There is no raw food native diet. There was no vegan native diet. Never. Because they, they, they just knew which parts and how to prepare. And how they knew is a whole nother issue. But um, they yeah, knew by observing. That's, I'm like, I'm so excited right now. I, I can't even tell you. This is like, so cool. I'm just wondering, like, God, ah, these jars, it's, where can I get them? What can I use them for food storage? I mean, this, these, this is what people should be using for, like, I want five gallon buckets made out of this stuff. Like for I seeds. Don't know if they do that, but they make liter ones. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I have hundreds of them. <laughs> uh, but it's really awesome. So, so here you are, you, you know, um, you're obviously in the garden and you have a huge garden. I saw pictures of you working in your garden. Well, I moved from that garden, but we're making a new garden here, so. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So is that one of your passions in life is just to get out in the garden and grow things? Much and more fun than talking about viruses all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you did all the talk and you wrote it down in the book, The Contagion Myth. So I hope you guys will definitely pick up a copy of that and check it out. Um, well, is there anything else that you wanted to share with us about these? Because I can, I can tell you like um, what I've noticed is like, um, I, I was like, wow, I can use this one for that. Cause I'm also a raw food chef and, and living food chef. And, and I do cook food too, but I was, what I'm, what I'm finding out that I'm doing now. And instead of just putting this and that, and this and that is like, when I make a salad now or something, I like take all of them and put them all on. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're meant to be food that's, you know, in, in cooking. So, mm -hmm. you know, every morning, if I have soup, I put burdock powder and ashitaba powder and sea vegetable powder in it. And then if I make salad dressing, I'll put, you know, pepper salt or leek powder or something. And, it, you know, to me, it's, it's all about flavor. So, yeah. you, you know, I, every time I have eggs, I put, you know, leek salt and sea, sea vegetable, you know, you know it, and you should just find the ones that you like the best. And yeah. That's so let's talk about pepper salt because it's like one of my favorites. Yeah, what's it, what's in it? What, what what can people use this for when when they get some of this stuff? So that was um you know so what we do is we find the uh, a farm you know our farmer mm -hmm. who grows mostly biodynamically or at least way beyond organic and we say we want these peppers. So there's I you know my son Joe is the one who says which particular pepper so i don't remember that anymore mm -hmm. um, but there's like four or five or six different peppers some sweet pepper some hot ones and they they they're grown on a biodynamic farm in in pennsylvania uh, and they're sent to our processing place in new york dehydrated ground with a little salt and you know any savory food 
that you eat. Put it in soup, put it on salads, put it on vegetables, any food, it, it brings out the flavor. And I got to tell you guys, um, I have a very highly addictive personality. It's always been that case, but like this pepper salt, I'm like a pepper salt addict. Like my girlfriend's become a pepper salt addict. I, she came over one, one time. I said, check this stuff out. Cause she's all into this, you know, anything cool, anything we can do to boost our immune system and just feel good. We're, we're all over it. I mean, I jumped on this stuff like anyway, so we made a meal, she tried it all out. And then she's like, I have to have this stuff. She went online that night right after the meal and showed her like two, $250 worth of this stuff and it shipped to her place. Like yeah. couldn't even wait to get this stuff. And it's great. I'm like, I love it. Now when I go over to her house, all Dr. Cowan's right. powders pepper, are over there and I don't salt. have to bring mine with me. <laughs> pepper salt was the sort of gateway drug for us because- it, it, it's, it, Dude, it's so addictive. It's so yummy. Um, I definitely recommend you guys, when you guys order this stuff, I hope you do at drcowansgarden.com get the pepper salt and then whatever else you want, but get that darn pepper salt. It's so good. My friend, uh, Lynn, she likes the, the three beet powder. Yeah. He really likes this one. It's really, it's kind of also a sweet grown thing. biodynamically by a friend of ours. So, you know, part of our mission was to actually support farmers who are regenerating the soil and doing things properly. So this is not just commercial agriculture. This is, small far farmers or foragers or people that I have long-standing relationship who are some of the best growers, the most careful, uh, you know, our Ashitaba is grown by a friend of mine at First Biodynamic Winery in the United States. Uh, so we're, we're very careful about that because, you know, we want to support real people doing real work in the world. Yeah, we're really about that because, you know, one thing that we teach over here big time is, you know, you drive industry with your wallet. Those yeah. dollars that you spend, you can either buy, you know, harmful of swallowed toothpaste and poison yourself and then urinate that crap out and back in the environment and poison everybody else. Or you can buy a toothpaste or make your own at home that's natural and give that money to that company that's doing good things and let them grow, force the other ones to change. If they do great, if they don't, they go away. It's no big deal, yeah. right. right? But what's so cool about this, just to give a quick little example, with just the pepper salt and the three beet powder, like let's say you have a salad and you have some spinach and you put some avocado on there. And let's say um, you put some cucumbers and, and then you have your dressing. Now that dressing, that dressing might be made of, you know, let's say three other vegetables. So you've got six vegetables, but when you take the pepper salt and the beet powder, you just added six more. Yeah. Right. So now you're getting 12 and now we're getting closer to that 110 count that we know that that successfully has been used by the indigenous people for a long time to maintain ideal health, to make sure they have strong teeth, nice hair and, and healthy skin. So I, I really like it because it it's such an easy way to um, multiply um, the amount of vegetation that people are getting in, in their body on, on a daily basis. Yeah. All righty. Really cool stuff. So anyway, guys, that's it. Dr. Cowan, thanks for coming on. And where's the best place for people to find you at? Uh, there's drtomcowan.com. And as you said, drcowansgardennoapostrophe.com. And yeah. Okay. So guys, go to doctor. It's drcowansgarden.com. And um, I'll put a link to uh, both of those in the description 
Um, we also have a discount code for you to order. I think it's Health Hero, but I'll check and um, it'll be down in the description below. And I hope you guys really enjoy um, learning about um, uh, the contagion myth, getting more empowered to not live in fear. And more importantly, now that you understand um, that, that, that subject a lot better, that, that you're just going to feel more empowered. And then more importantly, now we've given you some tools here, some more tools um, besides like our products that you can put into your home. And then you can feel good to know that you're giving your money to a good company that down the line is helping good farmers doing good things to our planet and to the soil and also good things for your body. Dr. Cowan, thank you so much for coming on. And hey. until next time, change yourself, change your world, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening again to The Health Hero Show. I'm your host, Tim James. And remember, change yourself, change your world, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Talk to you soon. You have just listened to The Health Hero Show with Tim James. Ha, ha, ha.